And believe me, I went through my periods of where I was enamored with the geniuses of the world. The geniuses who are talking heads all over. And if I said their names, you'd know who they are. I watched those geniuses lose 80%, 70%, 60% of their investor money while they were raking in billions. Stay away from it. Keep it simple. The more you understand about your investments, the more you'll ignore them, the longer you'll hold them, and the more money you will make. If you want to get rich quickly, this episode is not for you. If you want to get rich slowly, welcome to this week's episode. We had our first ever kosher money event live and in living color in Long Island, New York, and hundreds of people showed up. Our keynote speaker was Rabbi Naftali Horowitz. His episodes have amassed millions of views and for good reason. In this episode, you'll learn about the mindset of a successful investor and things you need to know to get rich, but slowly. Enjoy. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. What I did on Sunday is I tried to really distill down the most important things that I can share with you that will make you, prepare, prepare you for successful investing. I've been on Wall Street for 25 years. As Ellie said, I wrote a curriculum for NYU on behavioral finance. Behavioral finance is basically a cross-section between psychology and finance. And it really studies the behaviors of investors in the market as individuals, as groups, to understand why people make the decisions they do and why they make the mistakes they do. 90% of my job is being a psychologist. The investing part of the market is actually quite easy at least for me at this point. It's not that complicated, except that human beings, as we're going to see, are quite bad at it. And most of the reasons why people do not succeed in the market and why they actually lose money, walk away and say, this is never going to work for me. Walk away from what could be the greatest wealth creation machine out there is that they weren't psychologically and emotionally prepared for it. They walked in with ideas that were wrong. They walked in with psychological biases that literally portend failure from day one. 90% of my job is stopping my clients from hurting themselves, from making stupid decisions. Because investing really comes down to a very simple thing. You buy low when you sell high. Most people buy high and sell low. So I'm going to share with you five things. The five things that I felt would be the most beneficial and that most people can understand. And I want you to trust me that they're true. That they hold the key to almost anybody being able to successfully invest in the capital markets, doing it on their own, or hiring a professional, but not derailing that professional from helping them be successful. So that's my saying. 
There's a company out there called Dalbar. What Dalbar does is they essentially measure how successful we humans are at investing in the markets. And they do that by comparing the investments we have to our experience. In other words, do all S&P 500 investors earn the returns of the S&P 500? The answer is, well, wouldn't they have to? The answer is, they don't. They don't because they don't hold the S&P for the period of time that they're being measured by. They think, as we're going to see, that there are times to yes hold and times not to hold, or they don't buy the S&P to begin with. They pick a couple of stocks that they heard about in the mikvah, and then they wonder why they have horrific experiences. So Dalbar studies investor behavior going back forever. And no matter how far you go back, you will find that we are awful at this. So just to show you what's on that slide, over the past 20 years, if you were 60% in stock and 40% in bonds, the average investor earned 2.5%. Just to give you an idea, inflation during that time ran 2.1%. So they earned 0.4% above inflation. If you took that index of 60% stock and 40% bonds, it returned 6.1. So they underperformed quite a lot, by about 35%. And the question is why? Number one, humans overestimate their powers to predict. When I say humans, I mean everyone. I'm talking about all those geniuses that put out all kinds of white papers Everything you read on the internet, everybody is trying to sell a prediction. Okay? They all think they know. The funny thing is, is that every firm I worked at, and I've worked at the best, I've always had one guy saying X was going to happen, and the other guy saying the exact opposite. And they were both saying it on the same exact day, looking at the same data. That's because... They're all trying to predict the future. And the future, especially in the stock market in the short term, is not predictable, period. And I'm going to give you an example. Look at what's been going on the last 18 months. Does anybody have a clue as to where inflation's going? Anyone? Yes. What do you think? Where's inflation going? What? Up. Anyone think it's going down? There we go. I bet if I brought everybody up here, we can have a debate. Do either of you know where inflation's going? You don't. Because I'll give you a little secret. The Fed doesn't know where inflation's going. They just revised January numbers up and they said in January that it went down. So how predictable is that when you didn't even predict it after it happened? It's like I said to you, by the way, it was sunny today. Oops, no, it wasn't. It was cloudy. And maybe they'll even revise it again. Because if the Fed knew where inflation was going, they would have a handle on where they should do with interest rates. But they don't know because it's very complicated to 
control inflation. So last year, the beginning of last year, the narrative was inflation's not a big deal. It's a supply chain issue. It's a carryover from COVID. Don't worry about it. Then it became, oh my God, how do we bring this thing down? Or can we? It's much more than supply chain. It's wage growth. It's very, very sticky. We have issues throughout the system. Will it ever come down? Last year, highly unlikely there will be a recession. Then it became a soft landing. Then it's mm, a hard landing. Now it's, we don't know. I live with this every single day. We thought inflation was going down. It could very well be going back up. Everybody wants to know what the Fed's going to do. Are they going to keep raising? How much? Where will interest rates be at the end of the year? You have to all realize that Wall Street is afraid to stand at a podium with a mic and say, we don't have a clue. Even Willy Wonka doesn't know. I love Willy Wonka. I bet there's people in the room saying, who's Willy Wonka? I get this question all the time. What is the market going to do this year? It's either going to go up or it's going to go down. No, but really, what do you think? I don't have a clue. Are you serious? You have a corner office at Morgan Stanley? You manage what you manage and you don't have a clue? I don't have a clue. Anything other than that is a fat lie. So, let's take 2020, my favorite year as being an advisor. Worst pandemic in history. 6.6 million people died. See, I could take you back to 2008, but some of you were not investors and some of you won't remember it, but you all remember 2020. Businesses were being shuttered. Unemployment went from literally 2% to double digits in a matter of a month or two months. From February 19th to March 23rd, five weeks, the market lost 34%. It is absolutely gut-wrenching to experience a 34% drop in the S&P in five weeks. The only time that happened prior to that was in 2009. The news was absolutely, positively awful. If I shared with you on January 1st of 2020, using my power of prophecy, all of the headlines that would be laid out from March to the rest of the year, honestly, how many people in this room would have held on to a stock portfolio? Think about it. Would you have done so? The S&P's return for 2020 was 18.4%. That's a 52% swing from March 23rd to January 31st. 
almost unprecedented. Why? Oh, in hindsight, I can give you all the reasons. Had it not happened, I can give you all the reasons why it didn't happen. But at the time, it was utterly inconceivable. Do you know how many people exited the market between February and March and thought that they are groisa chachamim only to watch the market return, an extraordinary return? So I'm asking you, if that doesn't prove that you can't predict, then what will? So I urge you, first and foremost, to keep a sign on your desk if you are an investor. Nobody has a clue. If nobody has a clue, how do you invest? The answer is, the market is actually one of the most predictable things when you go out longer term. I use this analogy because it makes sense. It's the opposite of the weather. One day weather forecasts are 90% accurate. Seven day forecasts, 80% accurate. You go out 10 days or longer, it drops to 50%. It's very hard to know what the weather is going to be like 10 days from now. However, this is something you should write down. Markets have never delivered a negative return in any 15 years. Over five years, 94% of the time, in every five-year period going back to the 1800s, the market has delivered a positive return. Any one year, it's 75%. So there's a 25% chance it's going to be down. If you want me to tell you what the market's going to do over the next 20 or 30 years, I can give it to you with pretty high degree of accuracy as long as you tell me what inflation is going to be. I don't know what inflation is going to be. But I will tell you that historically, and this is Jeremy Siegel's analysis, and it's true, and I can tell you why, the market has returned between 6 and 7% above inflation over the long term. So if you think inflation is going to be 2, it'll be about 8 or 9. If you think it's going to be 4, as it was historically, It'll be 10 or 11. It has to mathematically work out that way. It's pure, simple mathematics and logic. We don't have time for me to explain it to you, but I think we did a podcast, uh, one of these Living Smarter Jewish segments, and I break down the market into three components, and component number one is inflation. Our newest sponsor, Infinity Land Services. If you're looking for a title without the story, a title for your real estate transaction without drama, then you need Infinity Land Services. Check them out, ilstitle.com. Pause me if you want. Visit ilstitle.com. Take a look at their brand new website. Read all about them. Email them, contact them. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. Really cool people. They know the space. I've spoken to them quite a bit so far. We might actually be doing an episode where we're going to feature Mark at ILS title. He has a lot of insights on what he's seen out there. I don't want to give too much away, but yes, ILSTitle.com. Check them out. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. So everything you're reading online is trying to give you a short-term prediction on the market. And investing in the market is not a short-term game. You're putting money away for the long-term. 
And every time you have that urge to sell or not buy because now's not the right time, remember that you don't have a clue. Which leads us to the second point. It feels so logical and right to time the market. It's awful out there. Why should I invest? Why shouldn't I sell? Everybody knows it's going to be bad this year. Why can't I just time the market? The fact is, and this is where that Dalbar comes from, the reason why people underperform the market is that they don't stick with it. So you have to know that I've dealt with many, many people over my years who were geniuses, CEOs of public companies, mathematicians, really smart doctors and lawyers, and they're really, really good at their profession. Some of them were psychologists, are psychologists, and they all have this logical confidence that they will know when to buy and when to sell. The reality is, it's impossible to know when to buy and when to sell. Because, as we said, predictions don't work. But really what you have to understand is, if I told you with absolute certainty that on August 1st of 2023, the recession will begin, and you sold all your stocks on July 31st, and you did so at the right moment, I can almost guarantee you that you will buy back into the market when it is at a higher point than when you sold it on July 31st. Because if you're right in the short term and the market dips, you're going to feel vindicated. You're going to convince yourself that you have some magic power. And what's going to happen is the market's going to recover a little bit and you're going to say, oh, no, 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 I'm not buying now. It's going to get much worse still. And then it won't. And then it will cross your threshold of where you sold, and then you won't buy back in because you're going to feel like an utter idiot because you're going to say, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to buy back in now, and then it's going to go down, and then I'm going to kick myself. And you're going to watch the market go up and up and up watching from the sidelines. I have seen millions of dollars doing this until these people come into my office, they're hanging their heads, and they go, take it. I can't deal with it anymore. And they all capitulated because they all thought that they're smarter. I want you to understand one thing about the market. The market does not reflect today's news today. It reflected it a month or two ago, which means that news will continue to get much worse and the market will already have started its recovery. In 2008, the worst part of the recession happened while the market was rallying. I remember walking into shul in 2009 and somebody comes over to me and says, I pity you given what you do for a living. I go, oh, no, no, don't pity me. I'm done. You're next. 
And sure enough, inflation, I'm sorry, unemployment shot up. There was horrible earnings and the market was rallying. And people said, is this market insane? No, the market's not insane. The market's forward-looking. The market sold off last year anticipating this is going to happen. Now it's anticipating the recovery. So when you're reading the news and you have a stomach ache and you feel all lousy and depressed and you say, I'm not going to pull the trigger on buying anything right now, guess what? It doesn't matter what the news says. The market already knew this news three months ago and it's looking at the time past this. Markets tend to go up during recessions because they have already priced in the recession way before it happened. Gene Fama is a famous economist and I think this is one of the best lines I've ever heard. Money is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the less you're going to have. Statistically, this is a statistic. People that check their accounts every day versus people that get monthly statements versus people that get quarterly statements versus people that get annual statements. The less frequently people look at their accounts, the more money they make. That sounds so imprudent. I'm not checking my money every month, even once a quarter. The best thing you can do is set your money up and then ignore it. There's nothing you need to do. The day I will liquidate my portfolio will be the day that Warren Buffett liquidates his When he gets up in the morning and says, I am no longer owning stocks, I will hit my sell button. Other than that, I know every time I follow this guy down here and ignore this guy up here, my bar of soap is getting smaller. Remember that. The seduction of pessimism. These are two very, very good lines. If I walk into a room and I convey pessimism, market's bad, economy's bad, unemployment's bad, war in Ukraine is bad, the world's, in, the world's a total mess. All true. Therefore, treasuries, you can get 5% today on six-month treasuries. There's no reason in the world to be in anything other than treasuries. How do I sound? I sound responsible. I sound prudent. I'm here to protect you. We have a natural allure to what sounds protective. It captivates us. That's why the newspapers and the blogs will all talk about how miserable it is out there. All these geniuses that tell you how miserable it is, right? And they'll keep piling it on until it becomes obvious that the market doesn't care. And then they'll flip the switch. But you have to understand that in order to be an investor, you must be optimistic. That's the fact. You open a business, you start a podcast, 
you're looking into the future. And everybody's telling you you're out of your mind. You'll never make a penny on this business. There's so much competition. Things are terrible right now. This is the last, ta- last thing you want to do now. Invest in real estate? You're crazy. I remember in 2008, Warren Buffett went on national TV. And he told the world what he's doing. Never did this before. He listed three stocks that he was buying when the world was literally crumbling. He told the world what he's buying. And everybody in the newspaper said, the man finally went senile. Pessimism was literally thick in the air. And he was optimistic. I had to develop a natural optimism because when my clients call me up and they're afraid and they're in that state of utter fear that's when the biggest buying opportunities are made available but when you're in that mindset of optim- of pessimism you will never pull the trigger think about it you want to buy low Why is it low? It's not going to be low when the sun is out, the birds are chirping, interest rates are down, inflation is nowhere to be found, and companies are hitting their earnings out of the park. That's when the market's overpriced. That's when you're paying three times what you should for the market. An economist once said the best time to buy real estate in the history of mankind was in Japan the day after Hiroshima. You probably could have bought the whole country for 50 bucks. Think about it. You have to know that pessimism is your enemy. Capitalism will survive. And as I always tell my clients, if it doesn't, your money is utterly worthless. So pulling all your money out of the stock market because everything's going to down the drain is an act of futility because your money is only going to be worth, you can throw it into your fireplace and burn it. If Apple, Google, Microsoft, JP Morgan and everything else is not going to recover, your money has no value. Humans are greedy. And that will be the driver of the market. Because if you do the math, treasury, 5%. Good deal? Someone said, sure? For sure. Well, let me give you the reality. On that 5%, you're going to pay ordinary income tax. For me, it's about 40%. That takes my 5% down to Three. Inflation today is running what? Six? That's CPI. You know what Jewish inflation is running? I mean, really, do we experience this? Truthfully, nobody experiences the CPI numbers. Real inflation is always higher. But our inflation? So right now, on an after-tax basis... I'm only losing 3% of purchasing power owning treasuries. That's a good deal. 
That means if I hold on to that for 10 years, I've lost a third of my money. Because money is worthless. It's only the purchasing power of money that matters. So, by the way, I'm not the first person that made this calculation. All the investors out there are sitting there and thinking, this is not good. They're also thinking that I know that inflation, because I went to some event in the five towns, and that inflation is ultimately going to drive markets higher. And 6% inflation is ultimately going to be a good thing for the stock market. So what happens is, is that at some point, the pendulum swings from fear to greed. This is an astonishing number. Compliments of my buddies at Apollo. There is $2 trillion of cash sitting today waiting to go back into the market. That's why in January, as soon as there was a whiff of good news, the market was up 7% before you could sneeze. That is going to happen because humans are greedy and they will not settle for treasury yields. They're not stupid. We like to make money. You have to remember that. And you will never know when it's going to happen. But you want to be in it right before. That's just the money that's sitting today in checking accounts. By the way, if any of you have more than three months spending in your checking account, shame on you. It is the biggest ripoff ever. It's insane. They're giving you nothing when you can buy a risk-free treasury between, if you bought a three-month treasury, you'd get 4.5%. And the banks are ripping you off. And the bank's going to tell you, oh, we'll give you 2% or 3%. Let me tell you another thing. On treasuries, you don't pay state tax. On the money you earn in the bank, you do. If you live in New York City, that's going to be about 13% different. If you live here, about 9 or 10% different. Nonetheless... There's trillions of dollars sitting in checking accounts. It's an insane amount of dry powder waiting to go back into a market because people need to make above inflation returns. Shmuel Shiawitz back with us. Real estate has been something, we're going to do an entire episode on it, but people want to get involved in real estate and they don't want to do it in a way that it's a get-rich-quick scheme. They, they want to do it right. They have questions as it relates to I know I do. I, I know this is something you and I plan to sit down just for my own sake, and I want to you know, f- ask you a million questions. But if I want to get involved in real estate, what, what do I need to know? What should I be aware of? I, I don't want to make the mistakes so many other people make. What do you tell the people, uh, the many people that reach out and, and have that real estate itch? So definitely real estate is one of those assets that so many people are either trying to maximize, capitalize, and get involved in. And when it comes to real estate, I tell people that homeownership is the American dream. So everybody knows it's a way to bring real value and um, higher net worth to the individual. So we're definitely grateful and, and appreciative to be a part of that. But I tell people it's... Not as overwhelming as you think, but it's also not as easy, but you need to keep a few key 
things in mind. Misconception number one is that people think they buy real estate, they have real estate, and it appreciates. And if you look over the last 10, 15 years, anybody who's owned real estate, they got in there at four, five, six hundred thousand dollars, and now that house is now worth three quarters of a million, a million plus. So it's true. Real estate is most likely somebody's greatest asset. You have somebody who's a regular employee, they get a paycheck nine to five, and yet their house has gone up hundreds of thousands of dollars. So everybody is dying to get into real estate. At the same time, I tell people that even though it's their greatest asset, it's also their biggest liability. And the thing that you need to do is you need to make sure that you're structuring that liability to maximize your short-term and long-term financial objectives. Would you like to hear some more? Yeah, give me another one. Give me another big misconception out there in real estate. Great. So I would say that misconception number two would be that a lot of people, they buy the house, they buy the piece of real estate, and it's kind of set it and forget it. And we're coming off of an environment where so many people got rates, twos, threes, amazing, historical. And, and you probably won't be touching that. You won't be looking at that. People don't even bother opening up their mortgage statement anymore because it, the rate is so low, they're, they're so happy to give the bank the money. But I would say that setting it and forgetting it is not an ideal situation because so often, even without refinancing your mortgage, even without touching that mortgage, there's so many things that a person should do who owns a home, who owns real estate, that they should be looking into to try to maximize their wealth and build equity. And that could just be as simple as having a conversation. I speak to so many of my past clients and I reach out to them proactively once a year where they want to have that conversation with me. Things have changed in their life, employment, income, assets, credit, and they want to have that strategy session to try to figure out, are they maximizing their finances? Are they doing what they should be doing? Obviously, you can't touch the mortgage in most instances, but there are plenty of times where there is something that can be done tapping into a line of credit, consolidating debt, figuring out ways to use your real estate, your current real estate to try to leverage and buy other real estate. So setting it and forgetting it is something that people should not be doing. And then I'll just tell you one last final one, which is that um, people have this preconceived notion that buying real estate, investing in real estate is really only for the uber rich and for the people who are well-connected. And as you said, Ali, it's such a hot topic, definitely needs a lot more attention, a lot, a lot more of a conversation, but anyone can buy real estate, anyone can get into um, owning and investing in real estate, and it starts with doing some more research and, and listening to podcasts like yours, having conversations with people like me, and interacting with people who can help you take the steps and, and tap into your ability. Some people have the finances. They don't know what to do with it. Some people are great at um, sourcing deals and, and, and they know what's going on in the market. So regardless of your strength and your skill, there are things that you can do and you need to um, align yourself with the people who can help take your ability and invest in real estate. And it's not as overwhelming or as frightening as one may think. Approvedfunding.com slash kosher money. You can email Shmuel at approvedfunding.com. Any question? Are there any stupid questions? No such thing. No such thing. Okay, there you go. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. And now back to this week's episode. Greed is good, but too much of it is 
horrible. I really should turn this into a whole other lecture, but I didn't want to walk away with nothing. The biggest mistakes I've seen people make are either not being in the market or being in utterly insane investments. Things that people buy for some insane reason, or even if they had a good reason to buy it, they have no idea when to get out of it. It could be a stock. It could be any stock. If you pick the right one, you're a genius. But if you look at the stuff in yellow, it's scary. 40% of companies that were part of the index, the S&P, lost 70% of their value since 1980 and never recovered. I just sat with a new client today. He bought a company. He bought $20,000 worth of the stock. It went up, and it was ultimately worth 400000 Did he sell? No. Today, his investment is worthless. Well, it's not worthless because he has a $40,000 tax write-off. That's not the way money's made. It's just not. This is not a casino. If you don't know what you're doing, and you're not watching and reading analyst reports all day about a company's earnings, then you honestly have absolutely no clue. And you should, you should just know that that's the truth. Because even the analysts that follow companies most oftentimes are wrong. So thinking that investing is picking three stocks in your IRA, it won't work. When I said before that the less you look at your money, the better, that's as long as you bought something that you can close your eyes and know 30 years from now is going to be here and be doing well. And there's nothing better than the S&P 500 to, to completely ignore. So I encourage you, don't become a stock picker because there are much smarter people out there that are working against you. The guy who's selling you those shares that you think are such a screaming buy is a hedge fund who's saying, this stock is about to tank. And you're going to have a miserable experience. And you're going to eat yourself up alive. The key to successful investing is one word, conviction. If I came to one of you who lives here in Cedarhurst, Woodweir, and your house is worth a million dollars, and I said to you, I'm going to offer you 700 for your house, you're going to say, you're out of your mind. If a minute later someone knocks on the door and says, I'll offer you 600, you'll say, you're even more out of your mind than the guy who was here a minute ago. Because you know what your house is worth. In fact, if your next-door neighbor puts his house on the market for 600, you'll probably buy it because you know the house is worth a million. When Warren Buffett buys a company, he knows what the company's worth. The market doesn't tell him what it's worth. He has conviction. And he once said that he would pay money to see all the stocks in his portfolio go down 40%. Is that insane? Wouldn't you pay money to see all the houses in your block go down 40% so that you can buy them 40% off? Because you know that the house is worth a million? That's called conviction. 
If you buy XYZ company at 80, or you buy Bitcoin, I'm sorry I said that word, at 36,000, and now it's 18,000, and you're sitting there and saying, oh, no, 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 this baby's worth 74,000. I did the analysis. What analysis? You have no idea what it's worth. It's worth what somebody will pay for it. You don't have an intrinsic understanding of what this thing is worth. When you own a company, a single company, and the stock starts going down, it's going to test your conviction. And what conviction do you have? And should you have conviction, you don't even know. When you buy a market, you're buying capitalism. For capitalism, there's endless conviction. The United States will survive, or we have bitter things to worry about. Stay away from investments that you don't understand. My Rebbe Warren Buffett once said, if he doesn't understand the business model of a company on, an, on, a, on a napkin, he won't invest in the company. When he meets companies, he meets them over a burger and fries, and they have to explain their business model on a napkin. If it doesn't fit on a napkin, he won't invest in it. I've seen people get utterly wiped out. It's painful. In, in my language, it's called Yiddish Geld. Literally wiped out in hedge funds or other highly leveraged vehicles that they had no idea what was going on under the hood of these things. Go read the book on long-term capital. It's called When Genius Failed. If that doesn't cure you, I don't know what will. Warren Buffett made a famous bet. His famous 10-year bet was that the index or the composite of hedge funds would underperform the S&P for 10 years. Those are the returns. There is not one year in 10 years that hedge funds beat the S&P 500. And by the way, it wasn't any better the last two years. So people are paying ridiculous fees, giving up liquidity, have zero transparency of what they own, which means they have zero conviction. How could you have conviction in something that's a chalent and you don't even know what's in it because the pot is closed and they won't even tell you? And the thing's going down and leverage is magnifying it. And you, all you want to do is get out and then they're telling you, sorry, you can't because too many people want to get out so we put up a gate. Why do we buy this stuff? Because we have too much greed. We think market returns are not enough for us. We're sophisticated investors. We should get the stuff that the average guy can't buy. Across my entire business, and Baruch Hashem, it's a big one, the number of hedge funds that I own is around zero. And I get people calling me all the time. Could you put me into some hedge funds? No. What do you mean? You don't have them? Oh, I have them. I won't put you into them. I'll give you the guy next door. He'll buy, he'll buy them for you. And believe me, I went through my periods of where I was enamored with the geniuses of the world. The geniuses who are talking heads all over. And if I said their names, you'd know who they are. 
I watched those geniuses lose 80%, 70%, 60% of their investor money while they were raking in billions. Stay away from it. Keep it simple. The more you understand about your investments, the more you'll ignore them, the longer you'll hold them, and the more money you will make. So let's wrap it up with takeaways. One, resist the urge to buy or sell based on short-term market or economic predictions. Remember, nobody has a clue. Making money is not about timing the market. It's the time that you are in the market. When the world is pessimistic, find optimism. Call me. I'll give you every reason in the world why things will not be bad forever. Remind yourself that collectively humans are greedy and that greed will find the market going higher because there's a hoard of cash waiting for that opportunity. And then when that bandwagon sets sail, everybody's going to jump on it. And you may be having lunch with your brother-in-law and you may miss it. Don't overcomplicate your allocation. Keep it simple. If you saw the allocation that I have for clients of mine that have $100 million, you would laugh. It's so simple that I can walk into a school here and teach high schoolers by putting my allocation up on the board exactly what it is. And that allocation has led to better returns than the complexities and the, uh, the mishmash that most people turn their portfolios into. I hope this was helpful. Trust me, it's all true. As simple and logical as it is, it's all true. And this is the key that I have found to successful investing. Thank you. We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first, a word from Kolel Chabad. What is it like when you can't afford heat? The cold seeps into your bones. It hurts to put your foot on your own bedroom floor. You shiver in your home more than when you're outside. Most Americans don't realize that Israeli apartments are built of stone with concrete floors. Heaters and radiators are not included. It's especially freezing in cities like Yerushalayim and in the northern city of Tzfas. Fatherless families, forgotten Holocaust survivors, lonely seniors... The abandoned people who fall through society's cracks. These are Israel's poorest, and these are who Kolo Chabad helps. It's a Rameer Balanes charity in the Holy Land for over 200 years. Please help our friends in Eretz Yisrael all across Israel. They need our help. Visit kolochabad.org slash kosher money and please give from the bottom of your heart. Now back to this week's episode. Okay, we're going to just take a couple of questions. You can send in your questions for Naftali or our panelists, which we're going to do after this. You can email koshermoney at livinglachayim.com. Koshermoney at livinglachayim.com. 
We're going to ask Naftali a few questions that the crowd is, has emailed and will email in. Koshermoney at livinglachayim.com. The first question is, why do people need an advisor if they can just put their money into the S&P 500? It's a great question. I start every prospective client meeting by saying, you're probably here because you think you need an advisor. You may need an advisor, but not for the reasons you think. The reasons why you would need an advisor are you don't have the emotional and psychological stamina to hold on. And if you don't hold on, it's, it's a disaster. I was once speaking at a conference, very, very big conference, a Wall Street conference. Guy got up in the back of the room, took the mic and said, your ilk are the biggest crooks in the world. I said, I agree, but why do you think so? And he said, because you charge fees while clients are losing money. I said, I actually completely disagree with you. I think we're crooks because we charge mo fees when clients are making money. He's like, what? I said, you heard me. You see, in an up market, you don't need me. It's easy. You put anything in 2020, latter part of the year, and you held it through 2021, a monkey made money in the market. My four-year-old throwing darts at the wall made money in the market. Why do, I, why do you need me? You need me because last year and this year, it's really, really hard to hold on to that roller coaster. So the first and foremost thing, as I said before, is I'm a psychologist. It's worth it to hire somebody. If you have enough money, that irrationality and stupidity will derail you. If you are a completely logical, data-driven investor, by all means, you do not need anybody. The second reason why people hire invest investment advisors is for everything else. It's planning, it's taxes, it's wealth transfer strategies, philanthropy, and so on. Some will say asset allocation. Today you can go online, use one of these robots, and they'll allocate for you all on their own. If you can ignore it, you don't need to hire anybody. A few people asked, what is the asset allocation that you use for your clients? It's like asking a doctor, which prescription do you generally write? I'm kind of leaning towards Adderall lately. I used to be Prozac, but you know... I don't know, the guy came in here from the pharmacy and he was he, from the pharmaceutical company, he gave me a nice pen and a paperweight. There's no way that I can answer that question. There's no one size fits all. My job is to assess a client's needs, number one, how much risk do they need to take, any at all. Two, what's their risk tolerance? Now, people say to me, oh, I have a pretty good risk tolerance. Really? Okay. How much can you afford to lose before you go crazy? Oh, 20%. Really? Okay. Let's try that out. 
But let's start with 5% of your money. Just 5%. Two weeks later, the market's down 3% and they're crying mommy. What happened to 20? I once had a prospective client come in. Her husband passed away. She sold her business for $300 million. I asked her a simple question. How much do you think it would take to lose before you call me up and say, get me out? And she said 10%. That's not so bad. So the next meeting, I made up mock account statements for her. First statement said, beginning balance, $300 million. Ending balance, $297 million. And she went, oh. Hmm. Now, all of you mathematicians in the room know the market only went down 1%. But when I got to 4%, she said, don't go any further. Because it's one thing to say 10%. It's another thing to see $30 million wiped away. You understand what goes through your head? I just lost more money than my father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers all earned cumulatively in their entire lifetime, and I lost it in one month. Get me out of here before it gets worse. So she found out that her risk tolerance was about 3%. So that's what predicates asset allocation. Now, when you start investing in the markets, it's like you're dating the markets. Those of you that are married, I hope you implicitly trust your spouse. I hope. But you didn't on the first date. And you even didn't when you walked down the chuppah. Because it takes time. You have to know and get used to the thing. I tell my clients that there's two things you have to get used to. The market and your advisor, if you have one. As you become more comfortable and you become more secure and you get used to markets and you live through a couple of cycles or two, your risk tolerance goes up. So when somebody says to me, what's the right allocation for a 35-year-old? The answer is, how long have you been investing in the markets? What did you do in 2022? What did you do in 2008? I have to gauge this client's risk tolerance. And even then, I know that I still don't know until I actually live with the client through cycles. Does that answer the question? Good with me. Good. Last two questions. We have two minutes left, so we'll uh, do a lightning round. One is, do you need to continue putting money in at regular increments in order for your portfolio to grow? And what is the best way to start out investing if you have limited funds to invest at this time? So dollar cost averaging is a great way to enter the market, especially in a year like today, a year like this, because there is a lot of volatility, and it's very hard to pull the trigger day one. Dollar cost averaging is a very disciplined way to build a stock portfolio. Dollar cost averaging means that you put money in in intervals. So, for example, any of you have a 401k? You're dollar cost averaging. You don't even realize it. Because every time they pull it out of your paycheck, it's get, hopefully you're investing. It's just going straight into the market and you're not even thinking about it. Just to give you an idea, 2009... At the end of the year, 
So the market dropped ultimately from 2008-2009, 52%. And then it recovered. Because I dollar cost averaged in my 401k throughout that period, I had an extraordinary return, over 35%. Because as the market was falling, I was buying, 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 which I would have never done if I had to pull the buy trigger. But since it was going automatically without me knowing while I was sleeping or having lunch, I was actually buying low, which I didn't have the stomach to do. The best way to do it is to set up an account with any online brokerage that allows you to contribute regularly to a portfolio. Vanguard does this, Fidelity does this, I'm sure Schwab does this as well. And you basically can pull whatever it is out of your, when you know what day you're getting your paycheck, just have it come out, $100, $150, $200, it doesn't matter what it is. And that should be set up to go automatically into a diversified index and just leave it alone. And one day you'll wake up and you will be wealthy. I want to tell you a story. This is for real. I met a client today. He's the client of one of my junior partners. And his parents left him a substantial amount of money. And this is after them being extraordinary philanthropists. They're well known in New York City for their philanthropy. And I asked him, what did your father do? And he said he was an engineer. I said, what did he invent? He said, nothing. I said, what did your mother do? She was a school teacher. I said, so where did all the wealth come from? Squirreling. I know a family in New York City who has, <clears throat> again, this is going to undo everything I just said, $1.4 billion of Apple stock. You heard me. Father squirreled away money and just bought Apple. Do not try this at home. <laughs> he left in his last will and testament that his children could never sell a single share. Squirreling works. You may have a little less money to buy a latte. You may not be able to buy some trinket. Good. One day you'll wake up and you'll be different than most other retirees who are saying, how will I make do on Social Security? You will have millions of dollars if you start young in your 401k or IRAs. That's the best way to do it. Good? Perfect. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Kosher Money. A big shout out to our friends at livingsmarterjewish.org. They've now helped over 1,000 families with financial resources, guidance, financial advisors. They are amazing. They're coming out with a new website, livingsmarterjewish.org. If you want more information about our episodes, pick up a magazine called Mishpacha. You can visit them, mishpacha.com. They have bonus content on most of our episodes. More and more are coming out. I'm really excited about that collaboration. So check out Mishpacha magazine. Thank you to our sponsors, Infinity Land Services, Approved Funding, Shmuel Shiowitz, let's go, and Kolel Chabad. Please support Kolel 
Chabad. Thank you to our sponsors. We are Kosher Money of the Living L'chaim Network. So think about Netflix and then all the shows. Netflix for Jews is Living L'chaim. We got so many episodes, so many shows. We have Inspiration for the Nation. We have That's an Issue Mental Health Podcast. And oh, by the way, we got some things brewing. We're also doing more events. So right now, if you want to know when the next event is, you can't because we're not telling you. But if you ever are curious, go to koshermoney.org. You'll see the Five Towns event we just had. But that will be the landing page for all things events. Super excited about that. Oh, and by the way, I have a tip for you. If you did not subscribe on YouTube, do that. People are getting notified when new episodes are dropping. If you're on YouTube, head over to Apple Podcasts. You can listen in the car while you're driving uptown, downtown, all around the town. Uncle Moishi is not a sponsor yet of Kosher Money. But until next time, keep your money kosher. I'm Ellie Langer, and I'm out. Living L'chaim.